Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Welcome to 2023. Last night at 11.30, I was going to call my friends Mike and Marina in Bolivia. They're an hour ahead of us, two hours ahead of us. Good thing. I, oh, I still could do it. No, I called them. I was going to call them last night at like 11.30, and I was going to say, tell us what 2023 is like, because if it's not good, we don't want it. Um, I really do like New Year's. I like New Year's because it's a clean slate. It's an opportunity to do things over. And isn't that really the heart the essence in the message of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We have been forgiven and redeemed and given a new lease on life. We've been given a new perspective. We have every reason to rejoice today when in the past we did not, did we? We had every reason to be concerned, every reason to be sad, every reason to worry. Now, I know many of you have had a terrible 2022 there have certainly been things in my life that I want to leave back there. And as I look forward to 2023, I have hope, but I am not so naive as to think that there will not be difficult things. There will not be unknowns that are going to come up, curveballs that God is going to throw me, people who are going to injure me, and the same certainly will be for you. But this is my hope. My hope for you that today, on our first day of 2023, that you will make the resolution to leave the bad behind, to leave 2022 behind, specifically to leave resentment behind. What is it that I mean by resentment? What I mean is it's really a spirit of unforgiveness. I think apart from a gospel message where we find our first moment of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, in terms of the way we grow as believers in the Lord, how we progress through our life of faith, this message, this theme of forgiving others might be the most impactful, important message that you'll hear so far all year. <laughs> it really is. There's something about holding on to resentment that eats away at us. There's something about holding on to unforgiveness that rots our soul and prevents us from having open and beautiful interaction with both God and those in our life around us. You know, we have pretty good motivation to let go of our unforgiveness, to forgive others, to let go of our resentments, primarily is because Christ demands it. He commands it because he knows it is good for us. He commands that we forgive each other and pursue love. The reason this is such an important idea, the reason that this is so important in our lives is that when we hold on to a resentment, when we refuse to forgive others, we actually, in many ways, hurt ourselves 
Now, I don't know about you, but I am a terrible landlord. I let people rent space in my head for free for far too long. Someone will say something, probably an offhand comment, or someone will say, maybe they even meant it with the barb, and I'll walk away, and a month later, I'm still thinking about what that person said to me. How dare they? I'm not going to release them from any kind of debt. I can't believe they said that. Do you know who I am? Oh, I know your sins, and I know the things that you do too. And then I see the person a few days later, and they're just living life as if nothing happened. They're just moving on. When we hold on to a resentment, it hurts us. We disobey God. He commands us to forgive. That's, primarily, that's probably the most important one. We harm the church. There are people in our congregation who don't forgive each other. That's every congregation, not just GBC. We hurt our families. We hurt our workplaces. We show up and refuse to interact with certain people and only react, interact with others because we don't like them or they've done something to us. Perhaps, for me, the biggest risk of refusing to forgive others is we lose sight of our own brokenness. We lose sight of the fact that each of us are struggling. And there's nothing worse than somebody who cannot see that they struggle themselves. Each of us need to be brutally honest with who we are and how we interact with the world around us. We need to be self-aware of what we deal with. Today we're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul's writing to a church in Colossae. It seems that they were struggling with learning how to embrace the biblical means or manner of overcoming sin. They're trying to incorporate philosophy and pseudo-spiritual disciplines as a means of overcoming the flesh. You know, it's interesting. I walked into a, we'll call it a big box bookstore, and I walked into the Christian area, and it was basically a self-help section, okay? There was not, as far as I could see, there was not one solid Christian book that pointed to the scripture, that relished in the power of the Spirit to change lives, that looked to God to overcome sin. It was all about doing it ourselves, okay? This is what the Colossians were dealing with. They were dealing, they knew the scripture, they knew that Christ had died for their sins, yet they were incorporating other things, philosophies, and disciplines like asceticism where they would fast to such an extent that it would hurt their bodies. They would try to mortify the flesh through pain and denial, radical self-denial as a means to get closer to God. But these don't work. He says, no, what you need to do is you need to consider yourselves new people and live out of the reality of that new person. And so we are starting in verse 12. Here's the first verse. It says, put on then... Clothe yourself then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The first piece that we take away this morning is that we are called to forgive in accord with who we are in Christ. Forgive in accord with who we are in Christ. Paul's saying that there's an old person in you. And we are clothed in that old person's clothing. And when we choose to walk in the life of Christ, we have to make the decision to take that clothing off and to put Christian clothing on, Christ on us. We live in a different sort of cloak. 
we live with a different sort of external reality with which we interact with the world. You see, I'm convinced that the moment that we are called into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the moment we are born again, we are 100% healed. All of the traumas in our lives, all of the pet sins that we have, all of the memories that are painful, all of the things that we hope for, our aspirations, it's fixed. Christian life on earth is slowly convincing ourselves that this is true. The moment I receive Christ as my Savior, he promises that I am healed, that my sins are forgiven, that my world is now different, that I am now different. But it certainly doesn't feel like it sometimes, does it? It's because we have a hard time believing by faith that we are new creatures, that we are new people, even in the face of Paul and Corinthians saying that every person who be in Christ is a new creation made in his image. In Christ, we are God's chosen ones. He eternally knew you and loved you from eternity past. You're special to his heart. You're recipients of God's grace to you. That you woke up this morning, first thing, 2023, as a beloved son or daughter of Jesus Christ with a fresh impartation of grace, a fresh, you are ready to face the year. You do not have to live the life you lived last year. You do not have to struggle with what you struggled with last year. You do not have to carry the resentments and the unforgiving spirit that you carried with you last year. Every morning we're given new mercy. And this morning is no different. We're set apart. We're called to be different. I look at a world that's seeking to conform everything into its own image. And of course, as a result, it's getting harder and harder for us to interact in the world because everything is growing different and darker and different and darker. And so we're pulling out. Don't be surprised. This is part of what it means to be called out, to be set apart. We still live in the world. We still interact with people. We still interact with those who are even hostile to Christianity. Yet our heart is set apart and called out of the world with which we, in which we live. And perhaps most important, we're beloved. The objects of God's love. Knowing the love of God empowers us and it frees us from self, but it obligates us to others. When we truly embrace and understand the love of God in Christ, in us, it transforms us. This is my hope for this entire series, that we will get a sense of that, that we will grow in that, that we will see how much God truly loves us. If you look at the list, Paul says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Notice he does not say, you need to act compassionately. You need to be kind. You need to be humble. You need to be meek. You need to have patience. The point is, is that what he's calling are characteristics of a changed heart. He's not just saying do differently. He's saying be different. Don't you want that? I was talking to someone this week and I said, you know, I don't, 
It's not that I want to do bad things less. It's not that I want to live more uh, or do better things to have more righteous acts and deeds in my life. That's missing the point. When we come to church, when we follow Christ to learn how to do better things or to not do bad things, we're missing what God is really calling for us. What I want to be is I want to be the type of man who doesn't want to do them in the first place. I want a deep heart transformation. I want, I want a new personality. Give me a new personality. I don't want to respond the way I respond. I know how many of you struggle. You share it with me. And wouldn't it be better to just not have to deal with it in the first place? Wouldn't it be better to be so in love with Christ and so following after his every word that our initial response in time of crisis is his way and not ours? Don't seek to do different in 2023. Seek to be different. And only God can do that. If we could change ourselves, we'd be like, all of us would be different, I'm sure. Only God can change us. He says, put on compassionate hearts. It means suffer with, show empathy, be empathetic, listen to what other people are sharing. Listen to what they're saying and try to put yourself in their shoes. Kindness, we know that. Goodness towards others, generosity in the way that we give and love. Humility, the deep sense that we're all broken, we're all sinners. And all of us, listen to me, all of us, given the right circumstances, giving the right time, are capable of doing anything. This truth is an underrepresented trait in the church today. There are people who believe that somehow they have attained the status of where they are. Certainly not a, just a church trait, but it's sad when it's here. We all need to have a deep sense of our absolute need and dependence on the Lord because we're all broken. This is important towards forgiveness because we cannot extend the grace and forgiveness to others until we realize that we're messed up too, that we carry around within us a sin nature, and that we quench the Spirit and allow that sin nature to come out all the time. He says, embrace meekness, the quality of not being overly impressed with one's own self-importance. <laughs> Hence my, do you know who I am? Comment. You know, sometimes we refuse to give, simply, forgive simply because we have an overly inflated ego. That's just the bottom line truth. We act as if someone sinning against us is of a higher order than them sinning against God. How dare they? after everything I've done. And perhaps to sum it all up, if it weren't any easier, the word patience. To be a patient person. This word patience is different than the typical word for patience in the New Testament. This word is the word that talks about having patience in the face of provocation. It's not just like dealing with someone who's annoying and like, I'm going to be patient in this or I'm going to be patient in this struggle. This is like this person is actively engaging and provoking you. And yet we continue to hold tight and fast to who we are in Christ. Only a heart that's transformed can do that. This isn't something we can muster up in our own strength. We need deep transformation through the power of God to do these things with any kind of consistency. 
We need to put on Christ. We need to recognize that the moment we trusted the Lord, we were transformed. And no matter what it feels like, no matter what garbage is floating around in our head, no matter what our bodies and our flesh is telling us, there is a reality that you are new. And the things that we are carrying in from the previous year need to stay. They have no place in this year for you. This is a new year. This is a fresh start. This is an opportunity to cry out to God and say, Lord, show me the reality of who I really am, that I'm loved and safe and that I'm accepted and that whoever has done whatever to me in the past, in the end, it's painful and I don't like it, but I'm okay because you are with me. We often utilize easier means of dealing with resentment, so don't we? When someone says, you've got to forgive that person, we have a whole myriad of other ways. I'll ignore them. How about that? You're dead to me. I hear that a lot. I'll love you and we'll interact until you do me wrong, and then I'm done. One chance. Or we ignore the harm. Let's not think about what happened. Or, one of my favorite contradictions in terms. Kill them with kindness. We've all used that phrase, but I want you to think about that phrase. What you're really saying is, is I'm going to seek justice through loving them so well that they will feel shame for what they've done to me. I'm going to kill them with kindness. Or counseling, therapy, pills, gurus. Some of these are good when appropriate. They cannot treat a spiritual issue. I often wonder about the world today where everyone's going everywhere to get something to put in them, to change the way they feel, to have a different view of reality. But in the end, these are spiritual issues. These are spiritual issues. I spent a lot of time on medications, trying to figure out why I was so sad. Why did I feel all these terrible feelings? It's because I was doing garbage things. It was because I had a terrible perspective on my life. I didn't have a relationship with the loving, gracious Lord Jesus. Even after I did, I went on pills from time to time as I needed, especially in the fall. It was hard. Our spirit and our body live so close to one another that if one gets sick, the other one sneezes. The truth, though, is that in the end, in the last analysis, these are spiritual issues. And forgiveness is a spiritual issue. So what do we do? How do we embrace who we are in Christ in order to forgive like he forgave us? Well, there's the go-to, prayer. Now, I say this in every message. This is probably the most offered advice and the most least embraced. There's got to be some other way. Have you asked yourself, why is it so hard to pray. Why is it when something's going on in your life, unless it's bad, then there's those foxhole prayers. Lord, do whatever you got to do. Save me. But when we've got that slow rumble, that sort of ugly burn of life that we just don't want, that ick that we don't want, why is it so hard to go to the Lord? It's because the flesh does not want us to. Because it works. 
our moments of interaction with the Lord, of depending upon him, burn those things out of us. We prepare in the good times for the bad times. That means when things are going great, you take everything you can from the Lord. That means you invest deeper and harder and faster with him. That means that you are seeking to become his man when things are good. So that when things are hard, you have something to fall back on. We recognize that someone's behavior toward us when they injure us doesn't change who we are in Christ. Someone coming up to me and saying, I think you're a terrible preacher. Well, I'm going to let them rent it for a while. In the end, does not change who I am. And though I admit I probably hold on to it longer than I should, the thing that gets me out of it is finally that realization, like what they say doesn't matter. Who I am in Christ is all that matters. Someone comes up to you and says whatever, especially in those spots that are most tender for you. In the end, it does not matter. You are saved. You are safe. And you are loved by Jesus. So someone can injure us deeply in the past, but in the present, we've been given everything we need to be restored in Christ. Second point, forgive for the sake of Christ. Verse 13. Bearing with one another in love. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. While putting on Christ and living out of the reality of who we are in him, we are to bear with other people. Bearing's not just tolerating difficult people. It's not just, well, they'll be them. This word here has more of the connotation of listening to what they have to say. Hearing them out, allowing them to, you know, I think maybe you've realized this or seen this in your own life, but sometimes people who continue to say the same thing will stop saying it when they actually feel heard. When you actually take the moment to hear them out, it often can change the relationship. It allows them a sense of knowing that you're hearing what they're saying, even if you disagree with what it means. But we don't do that often, do we? We have a hard time listening. And so bearing with one another becomes difficult because we're not listening to what they're saying. We create a lot of problems for ourselves and others by refusing to listen. But nothing in those moments when we're seeking to deal with people who can be difficult helps us in dealing with them like reminding ourselves of how difficult we can be. The Lord wants you to be blatantly honest with yourself today. This is a hallmark of who we are in Jesus. This is what it means to walk the Christian life. Because our sin is deceitful. The sin nature in us is so compelling and sweet. It whispers everything we want to hear. And it's so easy to believe it. Yet when we really get honest... When we ask the Lord to reveal our heart to us, we allow the Spirit to, when we're reading the Scripture, and we allow the Spirit to say, you know that's you, and we take it. We receive it from Him. And from those around us, our lives can be transformed. But, when someone does do something to sin against you, 
The scripture here says, if one has a complaint, that Greek word could also be translated when. When someone has a complaint against you or when you have a complaint against them. It's important that we understand here we need to forgive. Another beautiful idea here in these words. Usually the word in Greek for forgiveness is aphiomai. Aphiomai. The word here is charizomai. All right. The reason that's important is because the word charizomai is the verb form of the word charis, which is grace. What Paul is saying is when, some, when you have a complaint against someone, show them grace. Show them grace. Grace does not ignore the fact that what's been done to you is wrong. In fact, it, pre, it, it, it requires it to be true. When somebody has wronged you, when somebody has injured you deeply, and we extend grace to someone in forgiveness, we're living and behaving like Jesus when he showed us so much grace on the cross. We're to forgive graciously. Again, that does not mean what has been done to us didn't happen. It does not mean what has been done to us is right or that it was not important but we show grace in forgiving anyway. True forgiveness is canceling a debt and releasing that person from that debt. It does not mean that the debt never happened. It means we relinquish it. Again, a powerful antidote to holding these resentments or a spirit of unforgiveness is recognizing that hardly any relational breakdown is one-sided. It's always complicated, and there's always parts we have played. Even if when a relationship breaks down with some grand event, some big sin, there's often a hundred little ones that precede it on both sides that create an environment for this one to happen. It's not taking away from the power of this sinful act toward us. This is not saying that there's a reason for what has occurred. Sometimes there's not. What it means is that we often contribute to the situation. Sometimes we have a big part in it. In my life, I'll give you an example. In my life, I often have been sinned against because I failed to set boundaries beforehand. I was irresponsible in setting a boundary in a relationship like I should have, even though I knew the Lord was telling me to do it. And it created an environment where someone was able to take advantage, someone was able to sin against me. So when I go to God and I say, this person has done this, I need to include, I have created an environment in which I have allowed this to happen, or this happened. Embracing our side of an equation, and a relational equation, is very important. Very important. In terms of forgiveness, we're only to be concerned about our side of the relational equation. When we're coming up to somebody and we're discussing what happened, we only talk about what we've done. And we embrace our part of it. When we hold resentments, it shows we've lost sight of a few things, who we are in Christ, the grace that's been showed to us by God and by others. Because people have forgiven us, haven't they? Sometimes of really big things. It reminds me of the parable where the man is forgiven a minor debt. 
And then he goes out, and, or a great debt, and someone goes out, and someone, he uh, is owed money by someone else, a very small debt, and he refuses to forgive that debt. It's like, how grateful is that? You had a huge debt forgiven, and now you won't forgive this guy a little one. We do the same thing. Our great debt was our sin payment, which could not be paid. Only Christ, the perfect one, could do it, and we want to hold back the forgiveness. And the way we are forgiven is linked to the way we forgive others. Now, we're forgiven by God through faith in Christ as the basis of our forgiveness and that alone. However, we often have a hard time experiencing, feeling that forgiveness because we don't feel forgiven because we don't extend forgiveness to others. We want to hold on to something. And so we can't feel the forgiveness that we have in Christ. You know, sometimes our attitude towards others sets the stage for behavior. Sets the stage for a situation that creates more sin in the relationship. Like if I'm carrying around a resentment and, I, and I'm irritated with somebody and then they come up to me, I'm going to act out of that irritation. I'm going to act out of that resentment. And it's going to compound an already difficult situation. We need to be quick to forgive and it'll make others easier it make it easier for others to forgive us. All right, verse 14. And above all above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are to forgive as an act of love. Well, you might say, "Well, I don't love that person." <laughs> Jesus says you need to Maybe a better way of saying is, I don't like them. That's probably closer to the truth. I don't like that person. But we're still called to forgive them as an act of love. Paul says, above all, love is always the highest goal, the strongest motivation, and the most effective means of anything in the Christian life. Jesus wants us to be like him. That's the goal of our becoming more and more holy, our sanctification, that we should become more and more like him. Our goal should always be dictated by what is the loving thing to do. For everything we do in this world should be governed by what reflects the love of Christ to the world around me. Whenever I'm in a difficult situation, we need to ask, how can I best show the love of Christ in this situation? When faced with an unpalatable task like forgiveness, because it's never easy, it doesn't feel good most of the time, at least not when we're initially doing it. We must look to the love of Christ to compel us, to motivate us. So Paul said, Paul said it was a love of Christ that motivated him to do everything that he did. Forgiveness is no different. We forgive by loving those who hurt us, by releasing them from their debt and trusting Christ to make it right. But you don't know what they did to me, you might say. You don't, I don't love them, maybe not, but you love Christ, and so forgive them. Stand in that love and trust Christ to give you what, back what they have taken. When we love each other like Christ, the church is strengthened in unity. Years ago, there was a man here named John. He's with the Lord now. 
I don't know if he's looking down or not, but I think he would be smiling right now. John knew everything. You asked John a question, John had an answer. You couldn't tell John anything because John already knew. And he would explain to you why you were wrong. The only person, it's kind of funny when I look back on it, he's the only person I know that would take a devotional, like a daily devotional, and for his devotion, write how that devotion was wrong. Okay? Some of them were really astute, like really in-depth. They were really good. One time I had invited a friend into our then exceeding, exceedingly is the wrong word, very conservative, buttoned-up suburban church. And she was not a suburban, buttoned-up person. She had tattoos up her neck. Half of her head was shaved. She was probably not wearing appropriate clothing. And yet she sat in row number two. Row number three, right behind her, is where John sat. Okay. John couldn't hear. So he would often say things in the middle of the service that the whole congregation could hear, which he thought he only muttered to himself. I'll give him the grace on that. He probably meant to be heard. But she was sitting there with her tattoo on, his ne- on her neck, and he was thumbing through the pages of the scripture. And he taps her on the shoulder. Thank the Lord I was, standing, I was sitting next to her. Taps her on the shoulder. And I look back, and out of the corner of my eye, I see the word Leviticus. I'm like, oh, here we go. He's tapping her on their shoulder. She's never been to church before. So she turns around and she says, um, hi. And I see his finger go to the thou shalt not have tattoos or mark your body verse. Okay. And my hand went back and was like, blocked it. I was like, not now, John. Not now. Oh, you stop it. I said, not now. He says, she needs to be convicted by the law before she can receive grace. In the middle of service. She had no idea what was going on. She did not hear one word of what was said. I think the Lord like jumbled it up in her ears or whatever. So she heard nothing. So she heard nothing. She looks to me. She said, what happened? I said, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. We kept going through service. And after the service, he and I had a stern conversation in which he walked away upset. I walked away upset. And a few weeks went by. Every week I was there in the second row. He was there in the third row. We said nothing to one another, but both of us knew and carried around that event. And I convinced myself that he was 100% wrong. He convinced himself that I was crazy and was a young buck who shouldn't have been involved. And we continued our standoff. Okay. It went on for probably six weeks. John, as he grew older, hunched over more and more. So I came in about six weeks later, one Sunday morning. And after the service, I don't even know what was preached, but after the service, I turn around and he's standing there with his back scrunched over and his arms out. And he says, we're brothers. Brothers need to love one another. And brothers need to be in unity. I said, amen. Amen. Gave him a hug. It was like nothing happened. He and I were restored. There was a joy about coming to church because I get to see John and get told how I was wrong. (laughs) Everyone needs a good wrong teller in your life. I'm not going to lie. But suddenly that didn't matter. Those times when his shortcomings would come out, his 
the ways that he was rough around the edges, he made it difficult for people around him, at least as far as he and I were concerned, it didn't matter. Because we were brothers. We were restored. Now this is a little thing. What John did, not a big deal. Some of you have been sinned against hugely. God wants you to know that he knows that pain that you're feeling and how hard it is to think about letting that person off. How hard it is to relinquish, let, to let go and release from that debt. But he's telling you today that he will repay you from your loss. We often want to be assured that God's going to repay them for what they did. But trust God to give you what you need. Trust God to give you what you really want. And when we do, something beautiful happens. We become unified in a way that we never could have in the past. Because life's going to happen, especially here, here in our family, things are going to get hard. It's my prediction. Because life is life. Either there's going to be a season of change, a season of pain, the world's going to get harder. We need one another. And we cannot afford to be fighting battles in here when this is the place that God has given us to find love, grace, hope, and healing. So do your part. Trust the Lord to repay you for that debt. If you sinned against someone else and you're pretending it didn't happen, go to that person. If someone has sinned against you and you don't ever want to see them again, go to that person. Tell them how much you love them. Release them. We cannot let this happen in this world. Let me say it differently. Satan loves to get a foothold in our hearts. He loves it. And all it takes is this much, and it can ruin us. Let us embrace the grace that God has shown us in Christ by forgiving those around us. And know that the root of bitterness in your heart that's produced by unforgiveness is poisonous to you, to the church, and it's unbecoming of Jesus. So forgive like you're a Christian. Forgive in accordance with who you are in Christ. Forgive for the sake of Christ, and forgive as an act of love. Today we celebrate communion. This really is the symbol, the commemoration of the forgiveness that was shown to us by Jesus and what it took to pay for that forgiveness because that forgiveness wasn't free. When we extend forgiveness to others, it's not free. We have to give something up. We give up the right to hold on to that debt. But that debt, like ours, has been paid by Jesus Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, he, Jesus had a meal, not much of a meal. Jesus had a meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he repurposed the bread and the wine. And as they went around, he explained what these now meant. If you need a cup, please raise your hand so we can get you one. He explained and reassigned what the bread and the wine would mean. The bread would signify his body, 
a body that would be killed, that we would be forgiven. The blood represents his very life. The blood that would be shed is the cup of the new covenant. That means there was a new way going forward, that God's way was now in Christ. And this blood, this juice, represents that. After he had given thanks to both of them, he broke them and passed them around and they took them. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do now here together. I'm going to pray for the elements. And we are going to start with the bread on top. There's like a little cellophane top, okay? And underneath is the juice. So before you start tearing, hold on a second, hold on a second. Before you start tearing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, Lord, we desire so much to go into this new year with a clean heart, free from resentment and unforgiveness. Lord, we know that we're celebrating communion now and it points to the forgiveness that we have because of the grace you showed us in your Son. Lord, we thank you for these elements. We thank you for your plan of salvation for us. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, who is given that we might live and have forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us and for this church family. Give us a new sense of who we are in you. And as we sit here and we take these, let them be reminders of everything that we, from which we've been forgiven. Reveal to us, Lord, those things that we continue to hold on to. Give us the grace and strength to do as you've called us to do by forgiving others as we've been forgiven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.